Okay, there we go. We are live. Welcome back to the Clay and Company podcast. We have Tom Ziegelbauer on today. Tom is a coworker of mine and a dear friend and has an incredible background. So Tom, I want to let you dive in and share some of your crazy achievements because they're wild. Um, and then we'll <laughs> dive into the, uh, the the podcast here. Perfect. Awesome. So uh, I'm not like in my 20s, so I'll start. Off <laughs> 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 um, I've... Uh, I've done more than, um, I, I've forgotten more about what I've done than, Dude. than most people have, have, have done in their lifetime so far. So, um, so started out at a really super young age, uh, uh, with, uh, computers and, and, and tech. I was actually building, um, programs and stuff when I was in the sixth grade in the library um somehow convinced my parents to uh buy us a, a computer uh for my dad's business and that grew into um 32 uh computers that were um, down in my... <laughs> 32 computers yeah um in oh my, my basement so i i built uh one of the first I, I don't know if you and i have ever even chatted about this this was no. the first business that i ended up selling so um, I built one of the first chat systems that existed out there. Um, wow. uh, so I had um, something called the Beehive and the Beeline. And uh, the Beeline was a uh, way that 16 people could basically dial in. And back when we had modems. And no way. Uh, it would okay. transfer a text file from each computer to the next. And so it was like super, super basic chat. Um, so I had 32 lines uh, coming into the house, uh, to support that, oh uh, made enough money in order to buy my first car and nice. um, there we go. <laughs> then, uh, achieved, uh, some, some recognition to where, um, AOL, uh, ended up picking that up and then uh, purchasing that. Uh, so you me. sold so, that. What, what age were you when you sold that? I was 17 when I, I sold that. Dang. So what, so you started it at like 15? Yeah, I think I had it for a couple of, couple of at least two years, if not three years, um, before I ended up selling it. Um, it just got, it it was its own entity. I mean, at all hours of the night, my parents hated it uh, because you know the modems would be screaming in the back room where my dad had a, a train layout and stuff. Wow. <laughs> So it just it kept up eating more and more of his like space for his train layout, and he's like, "Okay, dude, like, <laughs> yeah, you gotta get rid of this." But it was pulling in. I think the subscription at the time. I mean, this was nineteen like eighty six, eighty seven when I sold it. Um, it was, I believe, like five dollars a month for the subscription for wow. like the chat side, and then it was another uh, five for uh the the beehive which was basically like a, a pre-website uh, they were called bbs's or bulletin board systems at the time so yeah. well, uh so what were computers like when you're getting started back then like was what? it like infancy Nothing. stage There's oh just... yeah totally i mean it was pre-web i mean yeah uh, we, we had no website that that's why you had these things called bulletin board systems and and basically all it was was uh, you could go in, there were some games that you could kind of install on there and um, mm -hmm. they were like turn-based uh, types of things. I can't even remember uh, what they were called off the top of my head. 
people could log in then once a day and then um, you had so many turns that you could uh, do inside of the game, like 15 turns, and then yeah. you had to wait another 24 hours for your turns to refresh. Um, there was some really like basic sort of messaging back and forth. So you could message like anybody who was part of that bulletin board system, the Beehive. Then you could send a, a basic message to another user and they could okay. pick it up and then they could respond um, back to that. So super, super, super basic. Yeah. And so like, was there like a moment for you where you, one, where you knew like, I'm I'm interested in tech, I'm going to get into this? Or did you like see foresee it becoming this big thing? Like, did you think like, okay, computers are epic. Like, this is going to be crazy. I'm going to get in this specific realm or was it just- No, kind of not, not whatsoever because like- <laughs> As we'll get into, like my life shifted several times al along the way. So, um, so I, I sell off the business. Um, I'm approaching going off to college, and my parents are like, "So, what are you gonna do?" And I'm like, "I have no idea <laughs> what I want to do." Um, so, I actually went to school for music. Um, I was a teacher for a number of years, and. Um, through the process of, of that. So I go off to school and my first year on campus, um, we were still doing uh, registration where you would have a, a ticket and you would go around to several different instructors and you would go, okay, I wanna be part of your class. You would get a ticket from them and then you uh, oh, wow. punch cards at the, at the time that you would turn into like one person, they would feed them in uh, to this, uh, huge uh, mainframe, this Vax server. And uh, that's the way that you registered. Uh, the first year I was in college for music, however, um, they received a huge, I think it was a Title III grant from Apple where um, the objective was to put a computer on everybody's desk, mm -hmm. uh, all the professor's desks rather. And um, they had no one in order to do that. So I had already had a connection with Apple because that's how I built the whole Beehive and uh, Beeline system. So I hired five of my buddies and created the computer networking services, which is actually still um, at Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Uh, the wow. University of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. So uh, we went around and we basically set up um, computers for every single professor's desk. Uh, then and then we um, networked them all together and uh, created. I think there were eight to twelve computer labs on campus inside of Dang. all of the um, inside of all of the dorms. Then as well, so we had a mix wow. of most of them were Macs or, or Apples, and then uh, we had some IBMs at the at the time. Wait, so what music? Like, what you go to? Like, what type of music were you in school for? Like, what'd you play? Uh, so I was, uh, my main instrument was percussion and so a drummer. So I kind of nice. grew up through that. Uh, however, um, like my brothers and sisters, uh, they, uh, would get the rental instruments. Like my one brother would get a clarinet and he's like, I don't yeah. want to practice. So I'm like, oh, clarinet, you know, learn that. And then my, uh, other brother tried out. Uh, saxophone and trombone and um, I also I started out playing flute because my best friend he um, he and I when we were going through the instrument testing back in like fifth grade or fourth grade or whatever um, we noticed that all the girls were like 
uh, gravitating towards clarinet and uh, towards flute. So we we're like, dude, that's where we want to be. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> so uh, so Kevin Shanley and myself were like first and second chair uh, flute uh, players, like when that's we started so out. And then you had to play a year's worth of strings before you could get into the band program, okay. uh, which helped the orchestra program. So I played cellos uh, starting out flute then and then you had to play a year in band before you could audition uh to be part of uh the percussion program and so they let anybody in during the summer uh for that and then whoever is furthest in the the workbook then they take those four and then you mm. you work up through that so uh percussion was my main instrument nice and did you grow up did you grow up in wisconsin or did you just go to school in wisconsin there i grew up in wisconsin yeah i was there uh did what, schooling, what area um at university of wisconsin eau claire um i actually had auditioned at uh berkeley school of music though um okay. nice. for uh performance and stuff and i ended up not going there uh because the guy who they pair you up with a undergrad and they take you around campus and he asked me the question and he goes so what type of student are you and i'm like what do you, what do you mean? And he goes, there's only three types of students that come to Berkeley. One, uh, they quit after their first semester because they realize that they're not good enough to be here. And I'm like, <laughs> you're an asshole. <laughs> and then uh, two, um, the ones that uh, think they're too good to be here, and then they end up going out on tour or something else like that, and they end up quitting after their first semester. And then the third type of student is somebody who stays here forever. And they uh, they have dreams of becoming a professor. So which one are you? And I'm like, I I don't think I'm any one of those three. So I don't want to spend the money to, yeah. <laughs> to go yeah. out there. And, and ended up at uh, great school, uh, University of Wisconsin. Uh, Eau Claire is the number one jazz school in the entire country. Oh, and wow. so I've got a huge exposure uh, to jazz, which is something that I, I didn't have before um, getting in there. So Did you see that new Disney movie? uh the yes um i i haven't seen it my wife saw it the other day oh my so. gosh you gotta watch that you'd love it, it just the, the the guy has a jazz background and it's just but it's a great movie yeah um, yeah i'm um she said it was a good movie I, I i do have to go see it um i'm trying to think what the name of it is i can't remember. i think it's soul or soul that's it soul. yeah yeah okay yep, you're right the guy fakes Take something and ends it's, up like yeah if you just yeah shout out that movie that i mean disney does great but this specific one is awesome it's like it doesn't feel like a kid's movie at all like i mean right. it does because the animation and stuff but like the the life lessons of it it's like really in depth right um, so, okay so you're in wisconsin you're you did you just did you continue with mu music throughout college or when was the transition where you were like, I, I mean, did, I, I did however, while I was at college. So as I'm, and this kind of wraps up the whole college side of things. So I go and again, it's, it's pre like website stuff still yeah. at this point, as I'm leaving college, I'm doing a, a bunch of uh, programming on um, these things called uh, Muses and Mushes. It's basically a multi-user shared experience thing. And you can program inside of it and you can kind of create environments and those types of things. It's all text-based at, at this point. So I'm doing a bunch of programming on my own. And um, the university is now starting to transition from where 
uh, you would um, turn in these tickets for registration uh, for classes to you would go and sit in front of these terminals and you'd have certain times in order to be able to register. And I'm like, this is stupid. Like I have to go walk down to lower campus and then uh, do this stuff. So I wrote a front end to that system to where people could then dial in from uh, the computer labs and be able to register. So I built their first registration online registration system Dang. for the university. So I'm graduating like, from college <laughs> with a music education degree and um, now I'm looking for jobs. So um, I'm doing my um, kind of uh, internship and stuff before that happens. I end up getting hired um, by the school district that um, I did my internship for to handle all of their technology. So now we're starting to, oh. to get into like when the web is starting around like 1994 and uh, websites and those type, types of things. So I right. start up and I'm, uh, I build the school's uh, website for them, set that whole thing up. This is when Netscape was like 1.0. Came on a little floppy disk. You had a little book that came with it. And um, so I'm setting all their stuff up. Eventually get a full-time uh, teaching uh, gig in Sparta, Wisconsin. So I'm teaching there uh, sixth grade um, general music, eighth grade band. And then I'm teaching also at the high school. So that first year uh, that I'm there, then uh, me and the high school band director, we write a $15 million technology grant in order to connect wow. 11 schools in the district for uh, distance learning. Um, also in that uh, grant, I wrote um, uh, a grant for uh, money to develop a course, which was a multimedia course that I taught up uh, to seniors to teach them things like, okay, how to use PowerPoints and um, mm. some basic HTML sorts of things. And um, so we had a semester course uh, built out for that. The wow. major portion of that, though, was um, connecting up these uh, 11, 12 districts to where, say, you don't have a calculus uh, teacher uh, at your particular school, we would then share the resource across all of the districts and you uh, would come into a classroom, you'd have screens and uh, TV cameras and things like that pointed at you, you'd look down in your desk and you had a, a little monitor down in there. Mm -hmm. And that's how you would uh, have the instruction for that. Um, also Dang. set up um, all of their uh, website and everything and uh, was very closely tied to uh, the technology department inside. So, of the... so you were working outside of the scope of your, your work as Oh, way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I was working nightmare hours as it was as a band director. And then I had uh, like all of this other stuff. And I was mm -hmm. the uh, president of the teachers association and like teacher of the year, like the last year I was uh, there. So so this um, is like your mid mid twenties range. Yeah. So uh, so I graduated uh, at twenty four. I figured mm -hmm. um, I would take like every single class as as an undergrad because as you know when you become a, a grad student like those same classes are doubled in in price just because you're a grad student. Yeah. Uh, never really got that. So I. Um, 
then taught from like two uh, or uh, 1994 through 1998. Wow. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And so, so yeah, 24 to like 20. So when did you decide like, okay, it's time to stop the teaching and move into tech? <laughs> yeah. So funny story. So I am, um, I'm still teaching. I'm approached by the military and they come up to me and they said, Hey, um, we see, we understand that you probably as a broke teacher don't have a lot of money and you're still paying on these student loans. Uh, we would like you because we heard about this huge uh, $15 million technology grant that you co-wrote. Um, would you be interested in teaching at our department defense school down in Augusta, Georgia? You would go through basic, you'd be a uh, slash civilian slash officer. When you come out of that, we'll repay all of your student loans and um, you'll be heading down this path. And I thought, well, that's super attractive. I get rid of all my student loans, yeah. uh, high paying job with the military, and I can pursue this other passion of, of mine, which is technology. So I go through the whole process of um, going through the background checks and going through MEPS, which is like yeah. your physical testing and everything. My brother's right? in the Air and, Force, I'm very well. Well, um, yeah, I go through the um, ASVAB. I score uh, in the 99th percentile. In fact, I score in the Midwest um, above the 99th percentile for the coding section where like uh, you have <laughs> Apple and it's tied to a number and then you got to, you know, tie those two together. They thought I cheated. So um, <laughs> I had to redo it. Oh my god! <laughs> they made me retest and um go through all of that get to signing on the bottom line there uh, to be inducted and the student loan repayment isn't there i'm like what <laughs> this was part oh, of the reason wow, the that i did this whole thing they had a, a write-up in whatever their uh military uh like newsletter magazine thing is like teacher of the year is going to be joining us da 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 da, da. and um the person who was I was working with recruiting uh, basically said, "Oh, you've uh, just signed on the dot, signed on the dotted line, and we'll like figure out the rest later." And so I stupidly did, and and uh, this, you know, again, I'm still in my twenties, I'm still learning stuff, and I'm oh, trusting yeah. you're, you know, growing up in the Midwest For in sure. Ohio, right? <laughs> For sure, we're super trusting of people, so. Um, it gets down to the end where they're trying to uh, move me into satellite communications and all this other sort of stuff. And I've already hired now my replacement at the school. So I'm without a job, without like a, a way to go over into this, uh, you know, program in, in the military. And um, I end up getting actually one of my clarinet students was the head of uh, the uh, base. Uh, he was the base commander at Toma, in Wisconsin. And so I said, wow. what do I do? And he goes, we'll try everything that we can. I'll get our lawyers on this. And eventually I, I wrote a big thing and um, the recruiting command uh, ended up sending me a a note uh, saying you're honorably discharged and um, we're very, very sorry for the experience that you had uh, because this would be a PR nightmare for us if uh, we force you into a, another direction, especially since we've uh, you killed your teaching uh, side of things. So, oh, wow. I'm with okay. a job. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, my mom is talking to a um, uh, a friend of the family uh, that uh, my brothers had actually worked for uh, growing up in high school. And hey, what's everybody doing? And um, this guy was running a website and then he had a document services company where they would uh, have say military contracts or like airline contracts where they would take thousands upon like tens of thousands of documents and convert them over to PDF. And then he had this website called pdfzone.com uh, that he was running on the side, which was the independent resource outside of Adobe for anything PDF technology or Acrobat mm, technology. Okay. So, um, they had a guy that was going back to school, kind of knew some website stuff. And I said, okay, well, um, I came in for an interview with him. They were spending $10,000 a month just on server hosting. And I said, yeah, exactly. That's crazy. <laughs> Think about that's, it nowadays. Like that's retarded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. When we like today, like it, it, even if you have a, like a high plan for something like that, you're paying maybe like a hundred or $200 yeah. for the same sort of stuff that we were doing back then. So I said, I tell you what, if you're willing to invest three grand in the machine, I will build your server for you, run your website, and um, we will bring in uh, a line that will be able to handle the traffic. We'll cut your server hosting uh, or costs by nine grand a month. And he said, okay, you're hired. <laughs> so now we're off. We're off. off to the races. <laughs> so that's the first job. And, and tag was the yeah. PDF company. Yeah, yeah, with PDF zone. So I'm I'm working with them. Um we're this is like the first part in terms of like being able to do ad spend and those sorts of things. Uh -huh. There weren't content management systems uh like WordPress back then. So right. I built one from scratch. Oh wow. Um, basically where um, we had two editors that were in-house and they would feed into the system that was database driven and then it would dynamically deliver pages. Um, we uh, had about 300,000 unique visitors a month um, at our peak uh, for, for that. And then uh, the owner goes, I want to sell it. <laughs> Dang. Hey, gotta do what you gotta do. <laughs> so he sells the entire company for a dollar. What? <laughs> yeah. So he sells the entire company to this guy, Barry Harrigan, which there's just like a million stories about that guy that I could tell you. Um, super entrepreneur. And he's how I get connected up into international data group, um, which we'll get into. So he buys it for a dollar basically to buy the people, not the product or the website. He had already eight different web properties that he needed somebody to help run and manage. Okay. And so he basically hired me. He said, fire everybody else that's on the team. Um, we're going to bring this in-house. We want to bring you out to the East Coast. So in a matter of months, then I'm looking for places out in Boston then mm -hmm. in order to be able to go out there. I'm in the middle of getting married to my uh, wife. And um, now I'm on the East Coast. <laughs> so, Dang. And so this is from Wisconsin now to the East Coast? No, to the East Coast. Yep. Okay. So uh, we brought in PDF Zone, but PDF Zone was kind of like this thing. 
that was hanging here off on the side. We were still, I was still running that. Um, however, it was, we were using the technology uh, that I built for it to build out. Um, they had Desktop Publishers Journal, which was one of their products, uh, one of their magazines. Um, that eventually merged with an IDG, uh, International Data Group uh, product, which was called Publish at the time. So, so now I'm creating the content management system for for that as as well. Wait, so he sold the thing for a dollar, and I'm assuming he got equity then in the bigger company. So the bigger company, he sold that it. was the thought. Yes, and so that actually ended up going into arbitration because um, the one who sold it thought I'm going to have this entry into all of this Big versus um, it was a workout like you would receive 20% of the ad revenue for PDF zone. And he had the idea, well, because Tom is being transferred to this other thing, I'm also going to get a slice of the pie for everything else. If um, the new owner ever sold it, then he would get a half a million for the sale. Oh, okay. so he basically he was he was the the former owner, and I don't know if he would appreciate me saying this. He uh, wasn't making a ton of revenue off of the website, and was basically trying to. This was during the whole dot com um, era Boom in terms era. of like people were buying these websites for like a million bucks in order to be able to try and um, make them profitable, right? So right. he thought if I basically sell it for a buck if this other guy ever sells it i'm guaranteed a half a million dollars no matter what or i'm gonna get this avenue or ad revenue spend uh 20 of that in perpetuity forever so we basically just like turned the lights off on pdf zone and like created all of this other stuff off on the side wow so that guy just got screwed completely <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah and it went into this like whole arbitration and then the arbiter basically said um he he listed assets the former owner listed as assets me <laughs> and oh. the other two people who were that who were uh providing are. content on the website so um it the ruling basically came down from the arbiter saying slavery was abolished um <laughs> several years ago and <laughs> you're not an asset for uh, tom is not an asset so you can't you know anything that tom even developed beyond the point of the the sale for a dollar cannot be included into what a all this other i mean god what a bad move to not get some type of equity in writing or do something of the sort for the or was he yeah I mean, there's he, hey maybe still... he just trusted him the same way you trusted the military <laughs> <laughs> exactly and in, in the end it created this like huge uh thing like um the the former owner actually lives like 30 minutes from me now in in, in boulder whoa okay and while we're connected on social media and stuff i have not probably had 30 words with him since all of that went down because there was such bad blood and he I think wanted um, more loyalty out of me to try and sway the, the arbiter in a certain direction. And I'm, I'm like, I just, I'm telling the truth. Like this is, this is what yeah. it is. I'm not a slave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a slave. Maybe that should be a title of yeah. like a book or a yeah. memoir someday. 
<laughs> Tom. I'm not a slave. The non-technical um, slave. So, okay, so you're so now you're at IDG, which is the uh and this is where a lot of crazy, like uh a lot of your crazier yes. like accomplishments in terms of like the stuff you've built came, right? Yes, yes, exactly. So um so we we started out with that desktop publishers journal that then merged with publish and um basically we let go 300 people out in san francisco um because they were super redundant in terms of what we had out in boston and then we took over that enterprise and became part of idg that connected me then up into the other properties like macworld uh mac pro um, game pro and a bunch of the other tech magazines that they they publish internationally so is it online again, publishing company or is it like a physical physical uh is what they started out with so like um game pro i think is actually still around to where uh you have a physical magazine they used to ship it out with a dvd of like trial versions of stuff you could load up on your computer and, and stuff like that pc world another one of their uh, magazines cio which I, I i'm actually still a subscriber of and receive uh stuff today um, so I'm connected up with all of these other groups and we're in the middle of uh, doing major, major projects in, in terms of the shift of the way that publishing is working. And because we're published, we're kind of the, the hub of the entire or where the spokes are then coming into us for ideas in terms of how to handle this process. So um, we developed a system to where um, the 200 business units across the globe, then we were all publishing independent content. So we'd have say, there might be a published version that was in Japan or China, for instance, mm. they would publish their content, they would deliver it into this content management system. And then we could pick up on a daily basis if we wanted that particular story based upon keywords and other sorts of uh, metadata behind the scenes, and then post that up on our website uh, then. So we were sharing content globally then, and that's uh, something that I started out um, and, and started out building that whole process. And, and this is before XML, uh, that standard was created. So it was a way in order to tag. Um, but what's XML? Content. What is XML? Extensible markup language. So it's it's like post HTML. Okay. Uh, okay. But it's a version. So like if you um, are familiar with HTML, you have like um, an H or an A tag for yeah. uh, a link, right? So you have A on the beginning. So this uh, is the href thing? You do, yes, right, href, right. <laughs> uh, you ha then have um, similar sorts of tags that you can put around something like title uh, or around then data in order to be able to tag it in a certain way or mark it up. So then you can do certain things with it. So um, I was part of the committee that started the creation of XML, um, which is still used today. I mean, there's a lot of backend processes that uses XML in order to mark up uh, data in order to be able to especially migrate data from one system to another. So uh, that was one of the things I did. Um, probably one of the more impressive things which uh, you're alluding to uh, here is then as part of our, our marketing unit. Um, so 
we uh, were collecting marketing data from 200 different countries and all of these business units in, inside of them. So uh, we had the idea, why don't we aggregate all of these um, into one giant database, customer database across the entire world, and then um, segment and market out to uh, those those lists, basically, we call it list services, right? and um, send them out emails, because this was like pre like, ever sending out uh, emails blast to to lists. So um, all these people and you're like, all right, let's figure out a way to send emails out to all these people. Right. And that, and that was not a thing before, like previous to this email communication was one to one. And correct. Yeah. You, so you would have your outlook and whatever, and you're sending an email out to somebody and you get an email back. Right. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't really an email delivery system for like on scale. So Gmail I built, wasn't here yet, right? What's that? Is that Gmail wasn't there yet? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I don't think Gmail was was there at, at the time. So we're talking now. Uh, this is around 2000. So okay. we just got through oh, wow. Y2K and a whole yeah. like a whole mess with all of that, and we're exiting that. And now we're thinking, okay, how how can we? We're already doing traditional snail mail. Uh, marketing out to people so we we know and the this Barry Harrigan uh, who was uh, head of our group uh, and owner of uh, the company was great at physical marketing and like you, you knew if you sent out like so many um, coupons or ads within a certain period of time you had a certain response rate so we started testing this thing out small to uh, clients like Adobe as an example. So with our own group, uh, because a lot of them were publishing professionals who were interested in our stuff. So um, we were seeing response rates on uh, emails um, like 40 percent, 50 percent. 60%. That's insane. Think yeah, and <laughs> and where traditional marketing like physical marketing to like your box, your mailbox was maybe you could get top 7% return on investment. Mm -hmm. On that or or response. We were so we're seeing 40%, 50%, and now we're starting to roll this out across the company. So we start sending blasts of 200,000 a day. And I built the system that would then just start ripping through um, these lists and we'd segment them out. And again, we had some of that XML data on the, the back end. So show me all the customers who are interested in photography or who are interested in publishing or who are interested in this particular thing. We would segment those down. And then we figured out over the course of time that if you are sending out by time zone, if you start that process at 11.07 in the morning, you would have the greatest response rate. And we figured out that it was um, because if you, oh, on a Tuesday was the best a response Tuesday rate. Tuesday at 11.07 Across the time zone. So we actually have them every time. Yeah. So if you were in San Francisco, we would be sending out a separate blast at 11.07 to be launched 
in order to be able to do that because as we're developing this, uh, there's some competitors that are also now seeing what we're doing and they're trying to copy what we're doing and they're sending stuff out overnight because you actually had to pay per byte for delivery through these giant massive companies. And I again said, why don't we just bring this in house and then we're not paying for you know, all this overhead in terms of sending it out. So we figured out don't send it on a Monday because now we're starting to get larger emails and they're trying to clear those out on, on Monday after the weekend, right? Tuesdays, they're already in the work, re work week, so they've already cleared out a bunch of their stuff. If it's coming in at 1107, they think it's a business email mm -hmm. and will open it and then actually respond uh, to it. And, and so 200,000 emails per day. At that was point. a start. That was a start. And it got, what did it get up to? 20 million. <laughs> 20 million emails a day. a day. And you guys were the first people doing this? Yes. Yes. So you, you, do you claim the inventor of spam? Um, I say that. <laughs> I, I actually think I, I, I claim to be the inventor of spam. However, um, I believe um, through the process of that, I was all we were also the creators of um, white labeling and double opt in in order to make sure there was no spam. Our subscribers were legit uh, because I literally would have our ISP, our internet service provider, calling me up on a daily basis saying, You are clogging up our system because you are sending out so much data out of your. <laughs> out of your location right now right. and and threats of shutting us down and so this is before can spam and uh privacy laws and a yeah. whole bunch of this stuff so we actually created the double opt-in system to where um not only would we have your subscriber data and you gave it to us freely and uh, we then would send out emails as a second confirmation in order to say, we would like to send you targeted um, ads and information regarding the subjects that you're interested in. Is that okay? Uh -huh. In order to make sure that we were actually sending it out to the right people. Okay, so you created spam and then the solution for spam. And also the solution and nice. then also <laughs> the, the tracking systems. So, um, a little trick that I learned uh, through just website tracking along the way, because we would have these like giant log files uh, for websites. It's not like you have uh, Google Analytics uh, back back then. So you would have to rip through these log files, do a lot of data analysis on them. And one of the tricks that I found in terms of tracking is we could put a small little uh, clear pixel basically out there and then we could track how many times that was actually hit for a particular web page, and then we would start embedding uh, those pixels into our emails. So every single time somebody would actually physically open that email, then we knew that they were it was actually being seen, right? So we would track that back to our server logs and go, okay, well, we sent out this campaign at this particular time, 280,000, they pulled that pixel from our web server. So we knew it was at least opened for for that um, uh, uh, amount of time. And then we were doing custom link tracking. So when there was a link inside of an email, they were unique identifiers that were um, embedded in the actual link then. 
And when they clicked on that, that would then track back to our systems in order to be able to do uh, reporting wow. on top of that. So And then, so then you go from uh, IDG and then, I mean, how far, how far back was that? So that's probably 20 years ago. So, yeah, so uh, I worked um, the transition from working with uh, Desktop Publishers Journal and, and, and that group uh, um, into then IDG went to about uh, 2002. That's so ad market has completely dropped off the face of the earth. Um, magazines are just failing left and right because they're still stuck in this physical realm of like hey we want to sell magazines but people are are now making this transition to online so even a lot of newspapers are now losing their subscribers and those sorts of things and we're we're going around and uh, we had a meeting um at uh the conference table and i remember it was the owner um myself and uh, this vp of marketing and he's going, okay, what's what's our next move here? Um, because again, he was like a super entrepreneur and asked us like, what direction do we want to head? And the VP of marketing said, I just basically want to work at like uh, food service because I can check in at eight o'clock in the morning and I can check out at four and then I'm done for the day. I don't need to worry about all this stuff. And we're going, that's not very aspirational. <laughs> And then uh, it came to me and um, they asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, well, um, we had just gone through 9-11 mm -hmm. and um, I had always, um, I had that inkling in terms of the military, but I always uh, had a thought of uh, becoming an FBI agent. And so um, I said, I'm actually interested in doing that and uh, doing cybersecurity um, for the FBI. So the owner goes, that's fantastic. You should do it. And the, uh, VP of marketing actually was connected. Uh, her, um, husband was a police officer. And because of nine 11, there was this huge want of FBI officers. So I end up applying for the FBI, um, going wow. through like the whole thing, getting down to the end, um, almost uh, to the point of going down to Quantico for my final testing. And my wife says, um, I don't want you carrying a gun around. <laughs> really? Because you have to carry a sidearm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this um, is no matter what. Well, I was going to say around, uh, so right after 9 11, that was also the advent to your point for the FBI thing was the advent of, uh, Homeland Security. Yes. So that's when my dad, because my dad used to be a, uh, like he used to be um, in Secret Service. Right. He was working in Secret Service. And then once that transition happened, then he switched over into uh, being a special agent for Homeland Security. So yeah, there was a lot of, of that during that transition. Period. Yeah. 20, when I, the kind of in boarding class, um, that I started out with, uh, there was 25,000 just on the East coast that had applied. And then you go through that wow. whole like background check of everything. You do the six hour test. And I remember they have got cameras above you and we finished like the math portion of it. Yeah. And there were people crying. Oh, man. So difficult. They asked like, who enjoyed that part of it? And there was one person and she was an accountant. We're all like, we hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
but yeah, you go through that whole process and, and, and now I'm, I'm kind of thinking down that road, like, um, maybe something different. And now we had let go the CFO of, um, that we had in our business unit, um, at IEG and, uh, Paul Mikowski is his name. And, uh, he calls me up one day and he goes, Hey, I'm with this, this company. They're a publisher. Uh, they basically create, um, textbooks for other people and then they sell them back to um others and uh this company is super screwed up they don't have a director of it we don't have uh this we don't have that and we're in the middle of a move and we're about to add on this crm system that uh, we just paid uh, fifty thousand dollars in order to set up wow. would you be willing to come in and at least consult for us and i said okay yeah that sounds okay so I go over there and um, I uh, am basically hired on the spot. I, I was thinking I was just going to take my Fridays off to consult. In fact, I told them uh, my, my current company that I was with, I said, if you give me my Fridays off, I'll take a 20% cut in pay because I know that revenue is short right now. So I'll make that up by consulting on my Fridays. So. I go on there on that Friday and they go, okay, you're hired. When do you want to start? <laughs> and so, wait, so this is like, you had taken the FBI test and your wife was like, no, I don't want you to do it. And nope. so you pulled the plug on it and then went this direction. Yeah. Then I go this other direction. So, um, I end up, uh, are you still then... interested in, in like, uh, in that route, like in crime and stuff like that? Totally. Totally. I I'm now aged out to where I, I, I wouldn't be able to do an FBI sort of realm uh, types of things. And in fact, I, I was talking to a, another colleague of ours the other day, and they had asked me about cybersecurity and things like that, if that was an interest in, yeah, huge, huge interest. I mean, that's a whole nother like conversation. Oh for yeah. No, for another me. day. Cause there, there's this curious. whole like hacker culture thing of, like just the piece of it um we had as part of that beehive um probably 15 25 people we would do things called war dialing at night so we'd set up our computers and they would just dial um phone lines in order to see which ones were fax lines which ones were actual computers that we could try to break into and there's a whole story about that um <laughs> So I love hacker culture. So it's great. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to chat about that another time. Um, so, so I, I get, uh, in with this baseline development group and I'm taking over their stuff. It's screwed up, uh, beyond belief. Uh, we have this CRM system that is, um, customer relationship management system for, uh, sales which they were now starting in their infancy. And if we thought like our sales process was <laughs> like kludgy, <laughs> this was like super broken. We had paid $50,000 before I even gotten there. And then we paid like an additional tens of thousands of dollars to try and customize the system to do what it wasn't ever built to do. And so um, we're building out processes and all this other sort of stuff uh, with this company. Um, you, you know, we're we're doing some of the first online language learning. So uh, I built some of the systems to where if you were the teacher and I was the student, 
we would be able to record sessions back and forth. Like, uh -huh. so I don't know if you've taken a, a language before, but a lot of it is where you've got the headphones in and they can yeah. sit and listen to dialogue and stuff. Dialogue, and yeah. So we were data housing, like just huge amounts of data. So people could go in, we would do online testing for language as well, which is like a huge, super huge, uh, big deal because no one had ever done it before. This becomes one of the largest then companies in terms of language instructions on, on the planet. Then and we build this huge big hub. So we started out in Spanish and then we moved to uh, French and German and Italian. And now they're, they're still doing all the, all that sort of thing while they had this development side where again, like Houghton Mifflin would come in and they'd say, Hey, we need a K6 uh, Spanish program english and spanish we would develop the whole thing soup to nuts and then we would uh, sell that off to them for uh, the rights for you know hundreds millions of dollars and stuff like that so here's the trend another next big transition so um dot com uh bus um uh, because people were being hired out of um thin air for stuff yeah would have no resume and i called that like uh deadwood and a very flammable situation so people yeah. would just go through and just fire like hundreds of people at a time so you'd start out at adobe you had no skills you somehow snuck your way in the door because they needed a, a ton of people and then they would fire all these people well now you have adobe on, on your, your, resume. your resume so you go then to the next one and you go oh i'm over at apple or i'm over here i'm over here and then you get another thing on your resume and you get another thing on your resume so there's a lot of this dead wood there's a lot of these people that have just flooded the it side of things and this is now the point where i'm still out on the east coast my wife had the opportunity to move back to the midwest where we're from with the same uh pay and the the same uh, title so it's like a 20 percent bump in pay because as you know the yeah, midwest is cheaper it's better so i'm sitting still then out on the east coast and um that last year i was with them i made them 2.5 million dollars in additional revenue more than any of their individual salespeople did and uh they brought me in right before christmas i was planning on taking my year-end bonus and uh using that to fly back to see my wife for christmas and um they bring me in great job this year we didn't meet the unrealistic sales expectations that the company had if we had the 80 90 percent uh you would have received three times the amount of bonus but on this side you're going to receive a third how is this fair <laughs> So I'm sitting down with him and I said, well, how about we do this? You, I, I made you money, which is typically not where IT sits, right? Um, we're usually revenue sucks. Um, yeah. So um, just pay me commission on that. If you're holding me to a sales standard, hold me to a sales standard. I made you 2.5, pay me commission on the 2.5. I'll be happy. Oh, well, we can't do that. CFO had actually figured out the budget for the bonuses. Um, he bought a car based upon what he thought he was going to get. He also <laughs> had received maybe a third uh, from this thing. And then he ends up, um, uh, everybody, the, all the leadership at the end of the year, um, 
through a, a whole like cube farm, we hear one of the production managers like yelling and I can hear it through a cube farm and down a hallway in my office. Wow. So we have this meeting the next day and this is just like a business uh, thing that um, I, I think is interesting. So we're sitting all around his conference uh, table. The owner, his name is Jose Blanco. Um, and he gives us a, a business lesson. He goes, okay, you have to understand that bonuses are something that an employer can give its employees for a job well done. However, they aren't supposed to be expected. And I'm really upset about the way that you guys are handling this. So here's the way we're gonna handle it. Clay, you're gonna make the same thing as Tom. Tom, you're gonna make the same thing as Tyler. Tyler, you're gonna make the same thing as Jose. Jose, you're gonna make the same thing as um, Paul. Y'all get nothing. And he walks out the door <laughs> and we're all going, shit, <laughs> like what the hell? That's so crazy. he ends up uh, uh, walking out the door, the CFO, Paul Mikowski, who uh, brought me over from that other company into this one, goes, hold on a second. And he goes out the door and he goes, Jose, what do you think of taxes? And he goes, I hate taxes. I hate the government. And he goes, well, you have two choices. You can either pay out bonuses or that's going to be all income which will be a hundred percent taxed and you're just going to give that money away to the government and piss off a lot of people so what do you want to do and he goes okay well i'll pay out bonuses my numbers not your numbers what's the latest date we can do that and it was like march 17th or something like that mm. so in the in between um in that uh review there at the end of the year they go tom you're like running around with your head chopped off we're going to split your position into three and hire some more managers for you and i said i don't need more managers i just need more hands <laughs> right and you're not willing to pay for that and i'm literally running up and down hallways in a three-piece suit and a tie and like underneath desks like plugging in wires and stuff and they're like this has got to stop so um i get my bonus finally that's a thursday and then friday i'm supposed to talk to my new boss which is not the owner they had dropped me to the president and the president they dropped down and they brought in a new president and now i was reporting to her who was next door so i go over into her office the, the next day on that friday and they say well okay um so which one of these plans do you want to take one two or three and then we're going to talk about compensation and everything else and i said well um, I'm going to make my, your job very easy today. This is my 1800 page document, transition document. I'm leaving the company in two weeks and I bet basically better get to this because you guys are screwed because I hold all the keys to the company right now. <laughs> <laughs> you have all the keys to the castle. <laughs> so her, her like chin, like in a Looney Tunes cartoon, like hit the desk and, um, the owner finally comes in at the end of the day and he goes, Oh, I hear you're moving to Minnesota. And I said, yeah, um, my wife has been there since like November and I'm going to go join her. And he goes, Oh, well, I hear it's cold there. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. I'm out. I hear so, it's cold there. <laughs> I'm like, that's the way you treat an employee. They, they also had a culture of, uh, he believed that everybody was replaceable, which is true. So I, I leave the company. They replace 
myself with three other people to backfill. So I'm out. IT market is absolutely flooded with a lot of this dead wood. I can't find a job. So I get this phone call uh, from this uh, financial services company and they said, hey, and, and this is a sales tactic and you, you and I have talked about this is um, taking it away from them, right? So uh, Matt Marquardt, great guy, good, still good friend of mine, calls me up and he says, hey, we're expanding uh, brokerages here inside of the Twin Cities area. And um, I see that you have an education background. Um, however, I've seen that you've led some gigantic teams of management. Like at IDG, I was running teams of 300 plus globally, right? So he said, we're looking to grow some more brokerages. Would you be interested in, in taking a look at something like that? And I said, maybe. So I came in uh, to a meeting uh, where they were going over kind of the structure of the company and everything. And I met the guy who was running uh, our brokerage at the time. And I asked him, I said, how much are you making a year? And he goes 175,000. And this guy could like hardly present, could hardly like chew gum and walk at the same time. And was wearing like brown shoes with like a black belt and like, just, like <laughs> messed up. Um, Bad sign. However, he's making 175,000 and I'm like, dude, if this guy is making 175,000, I'm in this thing for a million and I'm going to take your brokerage over from you in like a year is my thought process. Yeah. Which ends up happening. So, um he does some kind of shady uh stuff in his personal life. He ends up losing his licenses and I end up taking his brokerage uh um over from him. I start growing a team that starts building out to where um, I have uh, locations in Minnesota, Wisconsin, um, Iowa, uh, Colorado, and South Dakota. So I'm running a five-state territory. I'm like one of the top 175 people in the company running uh, at least five offices uh, across there and several hundred agents and training them up uh, remotely. Still doing a lot of technology things, so I'm actually taking it upon myself for like leads for the company. Yeah. Uh, we're scrubbing those against the DNC list. I built the whole system process in order to make sure that we weren't calling the wrong people because that's a big deal, $11,000 fine per person. So um, I'm doing all of that, and then I'm in the middle of... Uh, I end up being asked to come out to Colorado then to run one of the brokerages for my boss who's making like 1.2 million uh, for the company. And I get out here and then I'm approached by a friend and they say, hey, um, would you consider working with this company part-time in order to help us out with this server transition that we're doing and we're migrating a lot of our um, clients from this to this? And I said, Sure, I've basically gotten my assets under management up to a place where I don't need to be hiring more people. And in mm -hmm. fact, it's almost, it's it's kind of like what Jeremy is running into right now or the SDRs of what you're running into right now where a lot of turnover and you're like, well, is it worth it to bring on new people if they're just gonna leave, right? You spend a lot of time training them up for their next position. Yeah. So, um, I'm getting a little frustrated with that. So I said, sure, I can help out. So I'm working with them part-time. 
within my first month there, I um, win the employee of the quarter. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the person who brought me on, I get after that uh, kind of meeting that I get awarded uh, this award, uh, the owner of the company says, hey, by the way, we'd like to bring you on full time. Uh, we can't really pay you what you're worth. However, we have these kind of initiatives and blah, 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 blah. And um, however, to afford you, we're going to have to let the gal go that brought you in. I'm like, well, that's super awkward. She's a friend of mine. Oh, no. Yeah. So they end up firing her, like, without, oh, like, oh, man. At the all. Girl that so, brought you in. You ended up, oh, wow. That's yeah. Crazy. So it was, is very, and she, very quiet gal, um, uh, respect uh, her skills. Um, they had a um, content management system. I can't even remember the name of it. No one uses it. And it was a thousand dollars per license. And I said, this is stupid. Look, I'm going to set you up on WordPress for all of these sites because your, your sites just lag because of the platform that they're on. And then I ended up building this mothership for them, um, which I called Atlas. So it was a WordPress installation, single one, multi-site. And then that way we didn't have to update um all of the plugins site by site by site by site by site we'd update them once and then that would trickle down to everyone else um while i was there there were some other things that i i, I built for them as well and then um i was the only guy like running everything <laughs> there yeah. and support and whatnot and i got to about christmas time and i'm like i'm burnt out i'm at tears at a conference room table <laughs> Yeah. It's super embarrassing. You're like, I hate being in this position. I'm trying to do a good job. I'm working like 60 million hours trying to just like keep my head above water. And right. I can't do it anymore. And they said, oh, well, we'll get you somebody. And then three months later, they got me somebody part-time. And then I got into my interview or my, um, my kind of like yearly review, I think at that point. And they said, oh, hey, great job. Again, kind of like an IDG or the baseline development group uh, sort of situation. Hey, you did this great job. You made the company all this money. You actually brought on more clients. You created more services that we could then end up selling. And uh, they said, we're going to give you an extra $10,000. And then we're going to do this. And we're going to give you another five grand by the end of the year. We're going to build out your team. What do you think? I said, I think I'm done. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so a little too little, a little too late. I left that company and then ended up going to uh, being hired for a website project. Again, part-time I was consulting. I was also doing some uh, consulting for the DOD and uh, he ended up hiring me on full-time and uh, furniture rental place uh, was their director of IT and operations for them. So they had a lot of processes in terms of logistics and stuff that I help them out just like shipping and uh, transport and uh, those types of things, which has completely changed the course of the way that their company works. And then we hit COVID. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I tell that company, I said, you know, I'm super expensive. I'm your most ex expensive employee. Um, I'll be fine. Like, cause I still have these assets under management. I sold that company off and, and whatnot. So I said, uh, let me go. So to lessen the blow to the other people that are going to have to be let go. 
Mm. So I'm, I'm like, go. I'm doing some consulting on the side and then enter you. Then lo and behold, <laughs> I reach out. <laughs> and I'm like, who are you guys? <laughs> you I don't even app. know. So we had like put up an ad on Indeed. So for, for background purposes, uh, Tom and I worked together at 0%, which is basically, you know, financial financial consulting company really at the end of the day. And uh, I like looking through some of the resumes and we had Crystal previously and she was like sending me over some stuff because I being a non-technical person, I mean, quote unquote, I feel so bad for you. <laughs> yeah. I was a non-technical person. I am dealing with, I'm running the entire backend operations of uh, a pretty fast growing company. And I mean, again, I'm not a technical, like, like that's not my, my skill set or my, my area of expertise. Luckily, it's actually kind of a good thing. I've picked up quite a few skill sets in that True. area along the way. But uh, nonetheless, I'm sitting there like I, I literally I can't do the other things I'm supposed to do and grow the sales team and do all this stuff um, without having someone technical, at least one person on the team to uh, to help me. So then we'd put up these ads and I'm like looking through some of these resumes and your resume is stacked. <laughs> I'm looking at like the that comes from 20 plus years. <laughs> yeah. I'm, so I'm looking at the resumes and I'm like, okay, there's like a very small percent chance uh, that we're going to land this person, but I'm just going to, you know, reach out, try this and we'll see what happens. And so I reach out to you and we got on a call and you have just, as you do right now, the whole Batman, the dark side, <laughs> all this stuff in the background. And I'm like, this guy is sick because <laughs> I'm a huge Batman fan myself. Um, and so I see all the Dark Knight stuff, which we'll have to dive into here in a second. Yes. Anyway, we do like a just like a real short, like kind of getting to know you interview. And then we bring yeah, Jeff on, who is um, uh, another you know founder, CEO of, of the company. And then ultimately, yeah, Jeff eventually convinced you somehow to uh, to join us. And um, which which is a wild story in itself and and I think deserves to be told from a business perspective is I think people are 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 looking for a, an avatar, right? Of mm -hmm. a of a certain type of person. And um I I think I was outside of the realm of maybe what you guys were looking for and what I was looking for in a company. Yeah, right? vice versa. For yeah. sure. Vice versa. So um, Jeff calling me up after, I, I think you had called me back and you had said, well, what do you think? And I had told you a, yeah. a couple of concerns and yeah. I think then you got and on and I Jeff told said, Jeff like, dude, concerns, like I was like, figure out a way to get this person on board. Cause we really need him. Right. And, um, the one, the, there are two things with Jeff that he has, uh, strengths in um, that I'm super impressed about. One is he has an innate ability in order to be able to overcome objections and turn those questions around and then ask you why is that important, right? Mm. So there were some concerns that I had and I addressed those with Jeff and he turned it back around on me like, is it really that important in terms of this or that? And um, and secondly, just taking that time for the owner of a company then to call you up and have that personal additional conversation going, mm -hmm. I think you really should do this. These are the holes that I think you can help us uh, achieve. And 
um yeah. just an excitement from the other side too because a lot of times it's just the process because i've been through million or thousands of interviews of interviewing other people and i think that personal part of the process is missing a, a lot of times when yeah. you're being hired I, I know as i was looking at other positions um none of those impressed me as as much as jeff getting on personally and uh, yeah and and to that point we were really like i mean we still are like not a huge team and not a huge company so at, at that point it was like um what seems personal to you coming from your background is is uh the only option we even really have because i suppose there's only a few of us <laughs> i suppose considering that like i i was looking at giant corporate companies right. to kind of end my career in um somewhere that i can stay um however it's always been important to me to be part of like a family and a really close-knit um upper echelon of, of leadership in order to be able to have conversations like this like we do like on a weekly basis oh, yeah of yeah. of stuff to just go hey here's what's going on in my life here's what's going on in your life and building those strong business relationships is important versus sitting in a boardroom with oh. 20 people and um that i've been through and it's <laughs> i think oh, everyone has has now come to the realization that's kind of a a waste of time well i talked i talked to my friends about this all the time because like one of the things that i've realized is like everyone, like you need to have some form of like brotherhood or yeah. a uh, foxhole buddies. Yeah, like a cohesive group, and like it doesn't have to be guy to guy, but it's specifically around like going through challenging things with people that you actually care about. Because like when you go through those like challenging situations, you form such a such a better bond with someone. You know they have your back and all this stuff compared to if you know. Like a lot of times, like you said, these bigger corporations, bigger companies, it just doesn't have the, uh, like the problems don't feel like they're your problems really. And like, no one really feels like they actually care about you. It's about the numbers and the longevity of this company. But like it, the way I can contrast that is yeah. if it's a small team and a small, you know, company, or you're dealing with these problems, one, your guys' income is dependent on each other, which is very important. And then also too, it has that feel of like, like if you're, if you're on like a, let's just say like a, in the military or on a football team or on like a physically intensive type of a, an atmosphere, that aspect of like suffering alongside of those people. And, yes. and it doesn't have to be suffering specifically, but it's the big achievements too. But just putting in the work with those people makes it like just so much more enjoyable. Yeah, there's a great uh, book uh, out there that um, this Brian Maiman, while I was in financial services, shared with me. It's called The Question Behind the Question. And it basically is the dysfunction of corporate that um, there's a lot of finger pointing. Like, yeah. oh, well, it's a problem with marketing or it's a problem with this or it's a problem with that. And one of the things inside of that's that's kept me here is like our belief system uh on the homepage and in, inside of notion there that um if you see a problem the the question behind the question is how do i help solve this and be part of the solution not just bringing up 
Not well, a problem. Hey, this is broken. Like you, you and I have this conversation all the time. I'll go, Hey, by the way, did you notice this? And then we'll chat about Figure the solution or I'll have the solution already in place and just tell you how I fixed it. So, um, and I, I think, I think that's missing in a lot of companies, which won't allow them to scale to where I believe 0% has the potential of doing so. Yeah, because that people system. take personal ownership in a process, just like the the um, group call that we just got off, the leadership call that we just got off is um, you're not just concerned about the things that are happening in the sales group. You also have to pair with me <laughs> and yeah. I have to pair with others in order to make sure that um, we're working together as a cohesive unit. Yeah. And I also, I have a huge value on like freedom and being able to like time freedom, location freedom, and even things I work on freedom. Like I, I want to be able to have side projects and I want to be able to travel and I want to be able to do this stuff similar to like how you have geek garage. Yep. Um, and so those things are important to me. And I was talking to, uh, to some of our team members about that recently. I was like, this is like the reason I like to do this stuff is because it's my choice to be here and do this. The other like, I like to work with you guys and I like the the freedom and I like, like we, we've just built something that's like super enjoyable to work on together. Right. Um, but real cool before we, cause this has been going for a while. I don't want to keep you too much longer before yep. we go. We have to chat about the Batman stuff. Okay. Um, and the, like, we can't just have the dark night and the bat suit behind you. And then we not even reference what, it, what, the heck it is um so this is kind of how it was when me and you got on our first inter i think your your camera was just tilted more that way yeah i had my desk turned <laughs> the other way yep. but um okay so give me the background first and foremost like when did you become a batman fan like what's what's your history uh yeah with so <laughs> so i've I've always been a Batman fan um i, I think it started a progression um, still while I was in financial services, um, my wife had a black BMW that we went to a Halloween party and I was dressed in like a target Batman suit. Yeah. <laughs> and I cut out a Batman symbol and like a white one and put it on the front of her car. That's, I think where things kind of started. And then, um, there's a certain like error or persona that you have to be. Um, in financial service, it's very serious because it's dealing with people's money. And I always felt very stifled by uh. being as part of that. And then um, along the way, um, I, I, I take one of the vehicles that I have and I start turning it into a Batmobile. So I had a, a 2005 black uh, Nissan 350Z that has uh, scoops behind the seats, which look very similar to the uh, 1966 Batmobile. So I'm starting to turn that into a Batmobile. I get um, involved in a project um, where I'm helping build a Keaton 1989 Batmobile and some other projects uh, along the way. I get asked to um, start um, prototyping for Batman versus Superman um, on that with three other uh, prototypers because it's faster for us to do that outside than it is uh, for them to do it inside and then the director go, no, hate it, scrap it, start all over again. So got to meet Zack Snyder uh, on my first uh, version of the Batmobile that I had and uh, they take all sorts of like, um, 
3D scans of your car and they use some of the interior electronics on that Batmobile actually in the movie. So um, I also like um, helped out on uh, building the uh, car that they use in the Suicide Squad that um, Harley and um, it's an Infinity uh, G35 is the base for that. And then nice. um, the outside of it is this thing called the Vader kit that ended up being sold off and sold off. And now it's with another company and you can buy like the kit for like a hundred thousand grand and have oh, your own version yeah. of that. So, um, so along the way, so I have this Batmobile and I get, you like cars. Up. And then you were like, I love Batman and I like cars. Oh, and I got to keep, I got to keep what I built. So, so um, so I'm driving this thing around and then I get connected up with a group here inside of Colorado. Um, that has a lot of like movie replica cars inside of it. And uh, we're doing a, a bunch of events like comic cons and, and whatnot. And then um, uh, the person who was running that kind of had some personal issues and then um, handed it over to somebody else. And we had personal issues. And so I said, let's just create our own thing. So we created this thing called Geek Garage where it's the largest international registry of theme vehicles on the planet. In fact, I just got a guy today who contacted me who is over in Germany and he has a back to the future DeLorean that he wants to be part of our group. And I'm like, cool. Awesome. Let's chat. So, um, so we have theme vehicles across uh, the world. We have Ectos from Ghostbusters. We have Jurassic Park Jeeps. We have Batmobiles. We have all sorts of stuff. So, um, we uh, do a lot of charity work. Uh, in fact, um, here in December, uh, we had an event with uh, Feeding Denver's Hungry and helped raise over uh, $12,000 for those guys uh, here um, at the end of the year. And our, our goal is to increase that number uh, here for 2021. Okay. So um, that's like you said, uh, in terms of freedom, a lot of the MMA stuff that you do. And I do a bunch of wild stuff, yeah. Right that's off on the side. <laughs> Like you see this stuff and I, I leave it up as a background uh, because oh, as it. we're doing coaching calls or whatever, people see that and it's an instant icebreaker. They're like, Tom is more than just Tech. IT. <laughs> and I always close Back out all my content. I always say people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I want people to know how much I care about this stuff. So they know that I'm going to care about what we're talking about in terms of technology, yeah. because yeah. it's it's then becomes more personable to people and more relatable, and people go, "Batman's working on my stuff." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, you know that Camard. That was one of his first uh, comments as we were working uh, together. At the end of the call, he goes, "You know, Jeff was telling me about you, but." In, in however until i met you and saw all this stuff i knew you had my back because of all of the other things you do not necessarily because of the six inches uh yeah. you know up, yeah up that's so. i mean that's honestly like it, it was super eye-catching for me too i mean i'm a huge dark knight fan i guess if, if people were to say like what's your favorite movie of all time that's just always the first one that pops into my head for sure so i'm always like it was just funny when I first saw it. I was like, "Oh my god, he's got the real bat suit there!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that one, that one back there is the um, the uh, Dark Knight uh, begins uh, suit uh, back there with some other things on it. Uh, the 
the cowl on that is actually pulled from um, the one that was made for Ben Affleck for the first um, movie, the Batman versus Superman one. And then there's several others. Uh, the This one here is a 3D printed one that I did. So nice. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. We'll end it here on that note. Uh, Perfect. Any any last things you wanted to go over? Anything you want to you want to plug the Geek Garage or any any of those things? Uh, yeah. So uh, there's uh, I can also give you some of my social media stuff. So yeah, uh, absolutely. All that. So uh, Geek Garage is the first one. So on uh, Twitter, it's uh, Geek Garage Geek everything is hyphen with it so it's okay. um geek garage hq on uh twitter uh we're on facebook we're also have a website for that um and then my personal uh pages and things like that colorado batmobile so you can look me up on uh facebook there nice. colorado Bat at colorado batmobile on that's the personal side of the things that i do and then uh, have just started uh building out the uh youtube and the uh not twitter um the uh instagram uh side of things more on like the business it side business of, of things like that which is at tom owns it um all, all one word so you can find that either on youtube or on um instagram is uh mainly where we're we're plugging all that stuff now so nice all right yeah guys for, for everyone listening um Definitely check out Tom and please make sure you hit all the good buttons, whatever, you know, the like, subscribe, comment, drop a comment down below. And please. yeah, this was episode, I think this is like the maybe the 11th podcast. I can never remember, but thank you guys for listening and we will see you guys in the next episode. Peace.